everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is another Kickstarter Spotlight episode. And today I'm joined by my friend Trevor Fernandez Lankowitz to talk about the latest campaign for the third issue of Area 51, the Helix Project. Hey, Trev, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Oh, dude, thanks for having me on. It's always good to hang out, man. Long time no see, huh? Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> so listeners, regular listeners of the podcast will know that Trevor and I were just Hanging out at Terrificon in Connecticut, Trevor's Neck of the Woods, a few weeks ago. If you listen to that uh, crazy Trains, Plays, and Automobiles episode, I did recounting mm-hmm. that. Uh, but I want to I touch on that. I want to touch on, so at, uh, as we're recording this, everybody, it's not going out till, till uh, later, but as we're recording this, uh, it's free comic book day. And Trevor mm-hmm. did a signing all day, so I want to touch on that as well and see how that went. But uh, let's start off and remind everybody what... Uh, Area 51, the Helix Project, is uh, all about. And if you want to tease anything specifically about uh, the third issue, uh, which is the campaign that's going currently. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And so Area 51, the Helix Project is a sci-fi noir of sorts, or at least that's what I'm coining it. And it predominantly takes place in the UFO hysteric 1970s during the Cold War. And with the pressure, with the pressure of that Looming overhead, the United States government greenlights an experimental uh, sort of uh, project coined the Helix Project, where they're taking the uh, genetic samples from a specimen that was massively sighted in Roswell, New Mexico in the 50s, and they're grafting his DNA onto soldiers as a means to basically turn them into bioweapons and end the Cold War. But really, um, the, the question that this series focuses on is at what cost does that power come into who? Because that specimen spent about 13 years on earth uh, building his family and he gives it all up in order to save a child, knowing that uh, this child who is endangered by a speeding car, um, you know, or knowing that he's the only person that can stop it. He outs himself as an extraterrestrial and ends up uh, basically losing his life until 13 years later, his son receives a mysterious message from somebody claiming that they were there the day that he lost his soul and they have a means of getting it back. What does that mean? What are the intentions of this person? Uh, all of those questions remain to be answered, but I'll tell you this, Kent's life is uh, the protagonist is totally flipped upside down on its head. That first issue really exposes you to his past, his trauma, um, his crisis of identity, introduces you to the Helix Project. The second book really digs in and reveals the identity of the mysterious character M that has sent that letter to him, brings him face to face with the man who took everything from him and forces him to make a decision that will reverberate throughout the rest of his life. And this third one, which is far more crazy and nuts than the prior two, uh, he has to decide whether to embrace this side of him that he'd long thought monstrous for the good of an innocent child uh, or stand by and watch their life crumble. And this choice, this choice will force him to encounter his greatest threat so far. And uh, man, it gets nuts. I, I mean, the, the one thing that I will say is that uh, the readers have come to know that uh, every issue kind of has a crazy last page stinger that will hopefully hook you into the next one. And issue three is by far the most eye-opening. So uh, I hope you guys will give it a chance. Yeah. Uh, and we had a little bit of back and forth about the, the first issue uh, because it was somewhat mysterious. There wasn't, I felt like, um, you know, a big, there wasn't a big reveal necessarily in terms mm-hmm. of, Hey, what is there to, to kind of suck me in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we got to the second issue, that's, like completely I felt like flipped on its head where a huge chunk of story in the second issue, the pacing really, uh, it felt like the pacing of the story really picked up. It, it felt mm-hmm. so much quicker and, and things were coming at us much faster in the second issue. Uh, was that purposeful for the second issue? And would you say the pacing for issue three increases even more? Yeah. So the, the big thing for me with issue one was putting in a lot of setup and, and hopefully through that setup, allowing the reader to relate to Kent, to engage with him and understand a little bit about him so that by the time we get to issue two and I can start paying a little bit of that off, hopefully it's more impactful and it gives me the space I need to really create that impact. And really, I I would think that issue three begins to set up a little bit more, but really just takes it and runs with it. You're going to, you're, you're going to, 
Hmm. What's the way I'm going to put it? Um, I guess without spoiling anything, we're going to have his biggest confrontation so far. Uh, we're going to develop a little bit of um, an understanding as to why I've sort of paired Kent with this mysterious M character and why this person decided to come back into, into Kent's life and involve themselves into this situation. Um, and it's going to, I think, generate some of the biggest uh, WTF questions of the series so far, uh, leading into the fourth issue, um, which if you, you really think about it, think about it, the end of the third issue is, you know, the, the halfway point of this story. So after this, you know, if you think what we've done so far and, and once you've read issue three uh, is kind of nuts, it's only going to get more crazy. And we're really going to be able to punch at Kent's core wounds and hopefully develop some uh, really interesting plot points that pull at the heartstrings, surprise you, uh, and so on and so forth. Yeah, so you mentioned the third issue as being halfway through. The series is planned for six issues, uh, but I know you you have hopes to kind of put a little spin on that, right? Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so if the folks at home are kind enough to show some serious ground support for the issue three and issue four Kickstarters, that will provide me the space and the financial cap basically to scrap issue six entirely and do an oversized issue five where everybody can not only wrap up the series in a much more digestible bite, but also I think just experience the story in a much more engaging way without that, you know, two to three month long break in between. And I think it would also maybe give me the opportunity to include a lot of really interesting back matter into a book of that size. I, I just, think it would be a much more premium product and, and an overall better reading experience. So yeah, that's, if there's uh, any other motivation, to, if there's no other motivation to get in with issues three and four, that is it. And that's the way I'd like to tell the story. If I had it my way, I would have told this story as three double-sized issues as opposed to um, these 24 page books. But unfortunately, you know, to be frank, it gets really expensive paying for that much art. Um, so I need the, the incremental, um, the incremental funds from Kickstarter. So yeah, if, if we can see some serious support, I'm pretty much going to take anything extra from the third and fourth Kickstarters and put myself in a position where we can get that finale to you that much sooner. Yeah. I'm all, I'm all for that for sure. Um, Cause yeah, like you said, it's, it'd be great to, to have done this just as one big like graphic novel, you know, oh, yeah. where all the story is there. Um, but yeah, when you're self-publishing, it's that's not always feasible. You've got to pay your artists. People got to eat. Yeah, man. Everybody's got to eat, and uh, you know, it, I I think also having the the space and perhaps knowing that I would be able to um, make that double sized five would give me a little bit of space to maybe go back and edit things to cater a little bit more to that space because right now. You know, I'm writing for the overall story arc. I'm writing for the individual issue. I'm writing for the moment. And so taking the the necessity to write to the individual issue, I think will allow me to cater better to the overall story, if that makes sense. Um, not in a way that I, I don't think, I don't think that uh, the story is going to suffer at a six issue series because that's pretty much how I planned it. But I think that I might even be able to take it a step further and make it better by having the space to do that oversized issue five. Yeah. The other thing that's so interesting to me, um, you know, when I, I got my issue two and I read it and then I reread issue one and two together in one big sitting, um, and this idea of setting it in the seventies and you, you know, you yourself, when you're mentioning the, uh, the seventies as the kind of the setting, in terms of the time period, that, that UFO craze of the 70s. But in a way, with recent reveals about uh, UFOs and su supposedly somebody who even worked at Area 51, who's been, you know, was hired a retro engineer, apparently claims there's 11 UFOs there, mm. 11 flying saucers. I feel like the UFO craze in a little bit has, has come back. Uh, <laughs> have you, I mean, did... Obviously, I don't think you had any idea when you were developing this story, but uh, talk a little bit about how it's sort of become a little meta and has uh, anybody who's read it reached out to you and, and mentioned anything about that? So, I mean, when I was um, 
when I was plotting this book, I was doing a lot of research into the more credible sort of conspiracy theories, folks that have uh, documentation or some sort of proof of their experience. One of which I did a lot of research on um, uh, uh, an engineer named Bob, Le- Bob Lazar, who's um, in, in the last, uh, I would say just shy of a decade or so, he's come out and publicly, uh, publicly sort of discussed his experiences working for the labs at S4, um, reverse engineering the propulsion systems in these things. And, you know, the, the, the types of things that he's discussing, uh, not only in terms of the, the sort of UFO content, but also the way that the U.S. government tried to discredit him are absolutely insane. And the, and what really gave it a lot of credence and, and makes it, I think, far more convincing is the, um, re- the well, I mean, the, just the amount of missteps taken by the U.S. government, the, the mistakes they made and, and how those legitimize his claims. But um, I've always found it rather interesting. You know, I mean, I was raised a Catholic, but uh, growing up, I think I've come to acknowledge that I, I, I think it's even uh, in some ways ignorant to assume that we know everything and to place the assumption that we're the only sentient life out there on earth uh, in the, in the universe, if not whatever span of space there is out there. Um, But I, I don't, I mean, I don't even, I did not expect it to become as culturally relevant as it is right now. I mean, we, I remember what was it? It was at the beginning of the pandemic where there was that massive uh, like Facebook group where like hundreds of thousands of people were like, yeah, we're going to go, stand outside of area 51 and, you yep. and crowd like that's nuts to me. And, and to be honest with you, like area 51 was always a component of the series. Um, but it, initially the book was just called the helix project. There was no area 51 attached to it. Uh, part of that was uh, a marketing angle because I knew the, the term area 51 was very searchable and area 51. Don't get me wrong is very much a setting in this book and relevant to the series, but I wasn't going to really headline it, you know? Um, and, and, and in terms of people reaching out to me, no, not really. I've gotten really interesting interview questions about my, my theories, uh, of, of, uh, unidentified life and, um, sort of their involvement in humanity. And I think you, you, you experienced a little bit of that throughout our, our bar, our bar crawl during Terrificon. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's been a lot of fun at bare minimum and maybe a little bit revealing. Who knows? We, we won't know until we do. So. Yeah, exactly. But again, I mean, it, it goes to this idea of using comics as a medium to tell stories that are, are challenging to tell in other media, you know, I mean, yeah. this is your, your first book. And uh, you know, if we're talking about making this into a television show or a movie, you, know, you want to talk about costs, forget about paying an artist. I mean, it would, it would just cost so much more, but I think this is the perfect medium to, to kind of tell the story that you're telling. Um, and you know, whether it speaks to people or, or not, it, it is a visual medium and it and allows you, um, you know, the space to tell the story that you want to tell in, in the best possible way. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that you have kind of got the first two issues under your belt, I feel like you're in the meat of the series. Has there been any, challenges that have come up as you've moved along that maybe weren't there in the beginning that you weren't expecting? I, I think a big part of it is, especially right now being so early on, I'm, I'm really consistently trying to grow and um, employ new tricks, you know, play with all these new tools that I feel like I've kind of slipped under my belt. And a big part of it, aside from like employing some of those new tricks has also been restraint. Because there are sometimes where I'm like, oh, I figure out how to do this really cool, um, or I figure out how to how to really approach um, uh, an aspect of suspense or an aspect of metaphor visually, and then I, I think about using it and I try to weasel my way into it through through an issue, and then sometimes I have to step back and realize, well, it might be a cool trick, it's just not right, you know, for this moment, for this, for the the context of this story. Um, so a part of that is definitely restraint. You know, I'm always kind of as a writer, not only trying to explore these new tools, but, uh, you know, I mean, artists can be, um, I mean, we can be show off sometimes and we just kind of be like, look, look at this thing that I did. It's really impressive, huh? Isn't it? Um, and as much as I want to do that, sometimes, you know, I realize like it's not right for that moment. And 
that moment might require something really simple that is not the most satisfying thing for me to write, but that's what the story needs. And that's what I have to let it be. So um, yeah, sometimes it is just kind of letting the story be rather than imposing yourself a little bit too much upon it, if that makes sense. Um, It's, I think at some point you, you write enough of the story and you plot it out enough to where it kind of becomes a a thing of its own. It takes on its own life and um, it's not about you anymore. You know, it's about figuring out what the story needs as opposed to what you want to do with the story. Yeah, I can imagine that would be kind of tough. Like you said, as as you're trying to establish yourself, you want to wow people, but mm-hmm. it might not always be the what's best for the story. So you got to walk that kind of tightrope. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I'm a super verbal, talkative guy. So one of the big things for me throughout the series so far has just been not overwriting. You know, I'm, I'm really doing my best to pull back and I'd rather the books be a quick read and somebody get to page 24 and go, where's, where's the rest rather than getting to page five and going, oh my God, when are we done? You know, yeah, so yeah. that restraint's been something really big for me because when I'm, when I'm writing prose or poetry, I tend to have really sort of flowery language. I like to be um, really layered and, and contain a lot of, uh, metaphor, symbolism, what have you. And, and the thing about comics that's so great about the collaborative nature of it is that you can pretty much still employ those things just without being so heavy handed. And I can communicate that through what I'm doing with my visual artist, you know, with Marcelo or with my colorist, Marcio. Um, and it's cool because then that sort of extra adage that I'm trying to tack on to the book or, or the moment um, is now sort of rendered through somebody else's eyes. And I think ends up becoming greater than what I would have done alone. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about now that you've had time to sort of reflect and think mm-hmm. back on the, the weekend that was <laughs> at the Mahegan Sun for uh, Terrificon, where we got uh, nowhere near enough sleep. <laughs> and And honestly... <laughs> I feel like we probably didn't drink enough booze, but that probably went hand in hand with not getting, if we got more sleep, we probably would have, uh, at least I would have felt more comfortable drinking a little bit more. Mm. Um, but we certainly played a hell of a lot of liar's dice and had uh, a lot of fun. It was a, it was yeah. a great weekend. And, uh, yeah, man. you know, th- thanks for that. Uh, and for taking Sorry. me for the, the best pizza I've ever eaten in my life, uh, at Sally's in Hartford, which was uh, I'm dreaming New Haven, uh, New Haven, New Haven, right? Not Hartford. Sorry, New Haven. Uh, absolutely amazing, everybody. That's that's Frank Sinatra, uh, chairman of the board. His favorite pizza, uh, and I, you know, I might not be the biggest Frank Sinatra fan in the world, but the man uh, was right about pizza for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, now that you've had time to kind of crunch the numbers and look back on it, uh, your first show, and I know you at least made your table. Which, again, I told you that weekend. I don't think the majority of of comic fans, I, I'd say, is or uh, comic self publishers, uh, it could be as high as eighty percent. I don't think they make their first table, uh, the first show. So I thought that was a, a big milestone for you. But how do you feel yeah. the weekend went overall? Uh, I mean, it was a blast. You know, I, I mean, it was cool. Obviously, I mean, we've been chatting for like two years now, so obviously, getting to hang out in person and have a drink and connect it was a blast in and of itself. But in terms of the professional side of things, I mean. You know, I, I, it's odd because I tend to be a little bit more on the pessimistic side. And I think I had some pretty grand expectations for the convention in terms of traction to the Kickstarter, amongst other things. And it, and it didn't quite amount to that. But in other ways, I think I found a lot more success than I had anticipated. Uh, like you said, I mean, I actually ended up making some money at this convention, which I thought uh, was going to be impossible. I just didn't see it coming, you know, Um and I was able to meet a lot of really, really cool people, which, you know, in, in the heat of things, you preparing and, and at, you know, I was launching the Kickstarter the same week as the convention. So I wasn't really thinking about like how much fun I would have just interacting with people and interacting with people who are interested in the material um, and who are interested in stories just as much as I am. So that was a blast, you know, and, and I got to meet a, a couple really talented artists um, of, of whom, you know, I'm definitely keeping on a short list for other projects, but if not just artists that I can admire, uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't take any of it back. I wouldn't, I, you know, if you had said, but you, but you, you could take it back and get some sleep. I wouldn't do it. It was a good time. Um, and I mean, you know, I, aside from that, I think getting to 
meet other people that I admire, uh, whether, whether it was for the first time or, or a reunion, you know, uh, I had the fortune shout out to uh, DG Chichester who would backed my second Kickstarter. I got to meet him in person and, and just thank him for, um, you know, for, for that extra ounce of hope, you know, just for supporting me. Cause I'm a, I'm a fan of his and, and seeing his name pop up on, on, on my backer list was absolutely nuts. Um, I, I mean, on the, just for fun side, I got a Lee Weeks head sketch, which was uh, awesome. I can't wait to frame that thing up. Uh, that was like my one thing. I was like, if I get to break professionalism at all this weekend, it's it's to get a Lee Weeks commission. So glad that I could achieve that. But um, man, it was it was just a good time. It's so hard because that weekend kind of all felt like one really, really big day for some yeah. reason I, it's just I'm probably because we didn't sleep that could be it yeah uh, that might be the most rational explanation yeah uh i i agree <laughs> it definitely was a marathon as i've told you the the whole your whole comic career is a marathon and not a sprint but um yeah it, it added a, it added a different wrinkle being that it was your your first show and you were there uh trying to sell your books and connect to an audience and the, and the other part of this that we haven't really talked about i didn't even talk about it when we uh when i did the recap saturday was the busiest day but it still wasn't what i would call crowded you know hmm. like you would uh, expect for a show with kind of the reputation that Terrificon hmm. has yeah. and that all goes back to the pandemic you know we're still in the midst of it certain things certainly aren't back to normal but i imagine you know, if, if it was Terrificon at its usual uh, capacity and the amount of people that it usually was what you might have been able to do, or I picture you like in the small press area at, at San Diego Comic-Con, for example, and just, man, you want to talk about an exhausting week, hmm. uh, but a, a, someplace I feel you do very well, um, just based on the, the quality of your, of your book, just the art and what it looks like, uh, hmm. I think it would be fantastic so hopefully we get there hopefully we get there someday maybe for maybe for the finale uh of uh area 51 the helix project or maybe for your next project yeah i would i mean i'd absolutely love to i i'm already sort of in plans to uh make my way out to the west coast and perhaps do a convention uh as early as the end of this year which would be a lot of fun i i actually will probably find out within the week uh whether or not that becomes a possibility but certainly next year at bare minimum i'd like to get out west and and get to um just meet more people and and talk comics and talk story i think you know that using story um as the sort of connective tissue between people is like one of the most pure ways to interact and then one of the most pure ways to engage with one another because it's something that to one degree or another we're all uh interested in and so I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for um, the world to resemble a sense of normalcy as we've sort of been climbing out of this pandemic and to interact with more people. I mean, I, you know, it was crazy. We talked about it a couple of days um, where in the morning, I just felt I was so exhausted from not sleeping. And then you'd kind of go away and do your thing. You'd come back and you'd be like, oh, how was everything? I was like, dude, I feel great. Like after talking to, after talking to like 10 15, 20 people. I'm like, I'm energized. I'm ready to go. And it reminded me how important that was. And just the, the social aspect of uh, relating with people and, and particularly getting to talk about something that I love so much with that many people was just like, man, it was like a, a new battery. It was like somebody put a new battery into my remote, man. And I'm, I'm ready to go. Yeah. That's a really good way to, to put it. Now, do you have any other shows that you, uh, out on the East coast that you're planning on exhibiting that this year? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I won't be exhibiting per se, but I will be at New York comic con. I did get a professional badge, so I will be kind of walking around. Uh, if anybody's remotely interested in meeting up, I'm, I mean, I, I just don't assume I have the following for that, but if they do reach out on social media, I'd be happy to set something up where maybe I sit down with a couple of readers at a bar and have a drink or something, you know, uh, and FYI, I have really good taste in drinks. So we'd be going somewhere real nice. Um, uh, but um, for the, for this year, there is New York and there is that one West coast convention, perhaps at the end of the year, uh, next year, um, obviously Terrificon is very much on my list. It's close to home. It's sizable. Uh, and it's, it's nice to meet a local, a local audience of people and, um, kind of make a, a homegrown fan base. Uh, there are perhaps two conventions in Canada 
that I may be attending. Um, and I would very much like to set something up for one of the bigger cons in, in uh, California, uh, whether it's San Diego or WonderCon, I'm not sure. A lot of that is very much up in the air, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to really take the initiative next year. And if I can do five or six cons next year, I'd be very, very happy. Yeah. Did you look in at all to setting up? I mean, I don't even know. Does I'm assuming but when I was, at, I was so busy when I went to New York comic-con, I didn't even get to walk the whole show floor, but I remember there being a small, I think there was a small press area um, upstairs on the main floor. Um, did they, because the way San Diego does it, you apply. So if you, if you get an artist alley table or a small press table at San Diego, it doesn't cost you anything. Mm. Um, that's why the waiting list is, is huge. I don't know if that's the case with, uh, with New York, probably not. I'm going to guess because they are yeah. a for-profit show as opposed to like San Diego's not-for-profit. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So with New York, you you still have to apply, and with COVID and all, they're really um, battening down on the restrictions and trying to um, ensure that everybody is socially distanced, you know, from table to table. So they're taking about half the applicants. Um, and the, the thing with me was uh, I had gotten. I had not gotten like a, a regular artist alley table. They did offer me another table on the show floor, but to be frank at my size, it really wasn't affordable. So, um, you know, uh, just, I, I wasn't not going to go. I mean, New York comic-con is my Christmas for all intents and purposes. It's my favorite time of the year. So I figured a bare minimum, um, you know, I, I'd get my professional pass and, and walk the show floor and hopefully meet more people, engage with more of the community network a bit. Um, and, uh, you know, I would obviously like to, to meet a couple folks that I admire and say hello and thank you for their work because without them, I, I would not be so, um, yeah, I mean, New York is, is a beast of a convention and I, you know, really, really, really hope that come 2022, that it becomes a possibility for me to table at it. Yeah. Again, I just, you know, the traffic is so high norm normally, um, that I think it's, you know, de- definitely be worth your while. Uh, all right. Well, let's talk about today. Um, you know, we're talking about the convention, uh, but today you were out there signing at your your local comic shop uh, for free comic book day. Uh, yeah. So how did that go? Did, did you uh, connect with some new readers? Did you sell any books, sign a lot of autographs? How'd it go? Yeah, it was really great. I mean, I got to connect with a couple of folks who backed the Kickstarter and I got to thank them in person, which is always really great. Uh, there's something... You know, I mean, I, I, I try to periodically send emails and such just thanking people for the support, but it's always really great to just have that that human to human connection and see someone face to face if their etiquette permits, shake their hand uh, during these crazy times uh, and just offer sentiments of appreciation. So that was great. And obviously encountering new readers and and getting to open people up to this story. You know, I mean, it's um, it's something that's obviously made to entertain, but it's also to me. Uh, made to connect, you know, to be relatable and to tell a story that I think can appeal to a lot of different people on a lot of different levels. So uh, sort of almost spiritually, I guess it's, it was really, uh, really satisfying, you know, to, to, to pour this, this, the sort of contents of this story out on it, uh, onto the table in front of people and to have people be so receptive. Um, and, um, you know, I'm thankful to my uh, local comic book store, AJ's comics for, for having me and for giving me the time of day, you know, um, cause you, you think about it like these shops, uh, that, that take the time to offer their space and their energy to, to creators like myself that don't have much of a following, they don't have a lot to gain by that. And it's a, it's a really selfless act that, uh, at, at the current stage in my career, I, I very much appreciate. And I was also fortunate enough, um, on Wednesday to sign at another store, Wonderland comics for, uh, their new comic book day. And that, that was also a great time, you know, especially, going a little bit further outside of my normal area, my vicinity of Connecticut um, and just, just meet new people. Like a guy, a guy, uh, one of the shops had a, this really cool daily bugle um, like newspaper dispenser where they had basically finished an old Boston globe dispenser as one for the daily bugle. And there were like Marvel stickers all up on it from, for like Oscorp and, and PIM laboratories um, and the owner actually asked me to put a Helix Project sticker on that. So that was like that's cool, real, real, really cool moment for me. Um, and somebody had actually talked about making like a big sort of life-size statue of um, the rendering to the first issue's variant cover, which was 
Uh, even the suggestion of that was kind of mind blowing. So it's just been a blast just getting out to meet people, especially because I, I made, I, I wrote a lot of the story, pretty much all of it in like isolation during the pandemic. So um, getting to not only, getting to not only uh, have a sense of where it stands with people and their reputation, but also getting to introduce it to new people. has just been a lot of fun. Yeah, that makes, uh, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Um, Cause again, I mean, that that's where you need to, to get to, you know, you're in that Northeast kind of new England area, New York's right there. There's so many, you know, talented creators that live in New York. And if you can network and get into that sort of, uh, you know, environment and community, that can can open a lot of doors so yeah. uh but like i said marathon not a sprint you definitely need to put in the time and yeah hopefully i'll be out at new york as well this year and can make uh, a lot of introductions with, with people that i know and we can um yeah can help expand that circle because uh, yeah it all it all helps it's all about relationships and community the comic yeah. book uh creative community is definitely kind of small and, and tight-knit and uh yeah, it's a good it's a good place to be. And I, I think there's also like something really satisfying about connecting with other people who do the same thing you do. And, and for the most part are uh, better established and, and are veterans to, to the thing that you are pursuing and sort of um, engaging and having conversation about like their sort of ethics of creation and their approach and why they do what they do and, and even how they do what they do. Right. Because it kind of gives you an opening to put a new tool in the tool belt. Um, it's it, So I, I think even if it's not so much, um, you know, interacting for the sake of like professional networking and, and new job opportunities, um, I think there's also a really, really satisfying layer to it and just getting to engage with other people who are creative that are, that are, that are, you know, in this space, um, and, and just sort of, I don't know, um, getting in touch with, with the industry and with, you know, other, uh, uh God, what am, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, other artisans, I guess that's probably the most pretentious thing I could have said, but artisans is the word I'm going for. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I've heard that a lot. Um, and of, of course I would never say to, to an aspiring creator, no, don't, don't reach out to people that, inspire you or that you look up to but i've heard a, a lot from kind of the generation of comic creators that have come in in the last 10 years about how important it is to not only you know ask questions of those that you that inspire you or or, or already establish them to some extent but you can make connections with the people that are on the same level with you because then you come up together and there's that sense of uh, kind of camaraderie and you know these are the people that you went through the trenches with and you tabled at shows next to, and, you know, when they break through and have success and they hear about something you might be right for, they could reach out and vice versa and things like that. So there's a lot to be said about, you know, networking, not just with, you know, people that are kind of higher up on the ladder than you, so to speak, but also networking with the people that are on the same level as you. Um, because yeah, you end up coming up together. It's like, it's like, you know, your high school, class you know or, or the football team you're on or, or whatever you know you you go to war together so to speak mm -hmm. yeah yeah you said it man the the camaraderie i mean you know i, I look forward to being able to spend more time on the con on the con circuit and, and meet more people um and i, I think it's going to be really eye-opening and I, I think whether i i learn a lot as a creator or as somebody who is just looking to build a, a reader base um, there's a lot to learn, you know, uh, and, and to, to look at people's approaches and decide whether or not, uh, or, or yeah, and decide whether or not, you know, maybe I want to adopt aspects of what they're doing into what I'm doing and, and hopefully, you know, building upon uh, what I've done thus far and improve it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, hopefully I get to, you know, from my perspective, hopefully I get to watch that journey. Yeah. Cause I, I, I do know so many people. So that'll be, I, that'll be my celebration of, of watching it. And then I'll be able to say, ah, I knew you when, yeah, right. I when have I'm, to remind you when you say, ah, man, I'm too busy. I got like two issues of Batman. I have to write and this big crisis crossover thing that I'm show running and blah, oh blah, God. blah. I don't have time to come on your show. Oh like, God. Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you better make some time. <laughs> 
We went to Sally's together. Don't you remember? That's right, man. I was there <laughs> at your first show. Yeah, right. Yeah, that is, no that, is a, that is that <laughs> is I got no sleep, you fucker. <laughs> um, yeah, man. I mean, I I think it's going to be one of those things that it's going to be it's going to be hard to recognize, you know, that I'm climbing up the ladder while I'm doing it. But hopefully a knock on wood that um, it'll be something that I, I'll be able to acknowledge once I once I get closer to the top, you know, and I'll be able to um, really reflect on the experience. And and I, I think even now it's it's hard to do that. You know, even after the first convention, it's hard to answer um, really concise, candid questions about it because I, I still feel like I'm, I'm in the haze of the, the first con, you know, there's a lot of learning. Like I'm, when I was going to these signings, I'm like, man, I just brought way too much shit. I just brought way too much stuff. I could have downsized. I could have been more economical in the way I'm dealing with space. It's just been a huge learning process. But the one thing I will say is that I'm glad that I'm learning and I'm glad that, um, you know, I'm, I'm able to look at what I'm doing right now and poke holes in it so that I know what needs to be covered, what needs to be reinforced and how to present myself better next time. And that even applies to things on the creative end. You know, I'm constantly looking back at prior scripts and how those scripts are then being translated to the art and what's successful and uh, what is not so much, what can I be better at, at communicating to the artist uh, and to the reader. So it's been, it's been an absolute blast. And I think even more so creatively looking back and seeing like, the things that I feel so much more confident about now compared to when I first started. I mean, man, writing that first issue was like, God, there's like two and a half million things that I have to accomplish here. And now, you know, that I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm finishing up the, the, the script to the sixth issue and I'm looking back and I can see like, okay, you tried to do this thing in issue one, but like by three, by three, man, you got it. Like you, yeah. you did that thing you were looking to do and whether it's going to be something that a reader notices or not is, hearsay you know like I, I i think i said it before with you that like um issue three has my favorite first page i've ever written easily and it's not the most bombastic it's not the most dramatic it's not um it's not like a crazy cold open that's going to surprise you but i look at it and i'm like oh you know what that's that's when i really picked up the sort of rhythmic storytelling that's when i picked up how to build um uh, tension without saying very much, you know, things like that. So it's, it's been a great ride, man. Like even, even so far, and I'm still, what excites me is that I'm still so early into it and it makes me, um, hope that I continue to reflect upon these things, each step in the process and get that much better as a creator and be able to deliver that much better of a story every time I go to bat. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good point. Um, because as you know, no matter how, where you are on that ladder, if you stop evolving, if you stop striving to get better, if you stop learning uh, how to tell stories in a new and unique way as a creator, then you've stagnated and you're not long, you're not long for the world. But uh, mm -hmm. one, one thing that might speed up your journey, though, is if, if people keep leaving DC for Substack, uh, <laughs> they, may be, they may be looking for people uh, sooner than we thought, but uh, but anyway, as we're wrapping up here, do you want to uh, go over the, the tiers real fast? Some of the rewards are, are, are available for anybody who backs uh, Area 51, the Helix Project number three. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I've, uh, as Jace knows, I've, I'm, always, um, I'm always doing my best to try to provide as much value as humanly possible, so much so that it is uh, often at the cost of my own dollar. And I'm very much okay with that as long as I'm getting readers in front of this book. Um, because I, I think that, you know, the, the, there's a lot of value in uh, connecting with people through these stories. And so I would rather have 500 readers at $5 a pop than have, um, you know, two readers at $250 a pop. Because um, I, I think that the conversation that's generated from a, a good story uh, is, is worth more than its own, is worth more than my waiting goal. So, um I've made it really easy. If you haven't gotten onto this book right now, you can get all three issues for like $14 and they're each 24 pages, straight story, um, super thick stock. It's actually almost two times thicker than what you're getting at Marvel right now uh, and significantly thicker than what you're getting at DC right now. So um, aside from trying to produce the, the best possible story that I can, I'm trying to give you the best physical product that I possibly can. And all of the books 
if you so choose, I give you the option in the backer survey, um, will come signed for absolutely no extra cost. I don't believe in charging for signing. Um, I think that if, if you take the time to read my story, engage with it, and even spend some of your hard work money, your hard earned money on it, uh, the least I can do is write my name on it, you know. Um, but aside from that, there are options for brilliant artist prints drawn by uh, a number of the artists working on the series that you get to vote on. You get to decide what you what you're receiving, what you're paying for. It's not one of those situations where I'm asking you to pre-order something three months in advance and having no idea what you're getting. You actually have a hand in it. Um, you'll have the opportunity to be credited as a producer or an executive producer in the book, which will also give you a little bit more sort of um, uh, voting sway moving forward in, in things like designs or release schedules or perhaps a project that I might have uh, coming down the pipeline. Who knows? Wink, wink. Uh, there are also options to be drawn into the book. You know, uh, shout out to Dustin Remy, a backer of the second issue, who actually uh, contributed enough to the campaign to get murdered by uh, the main series antagonist in his first full appearance. So um, there are a lot of really great ways, I think, to to embed yourself within the Helix Project mythos and within our community. Um, but amongst things like that, you can get uh, commissions from my series artist, who's all the way out in Brazil, by the way. Like, otherwise, it would be almost impossible to do so. Um, I mean, man, it's there's so much stuff. I, I mean, I'm curious, like, Jace, like you're from the out, like you're from the outside looking in. Are there any particular rewards that you can think of that are interesting uh, or that stand out to you most? Uh, I don't know that I'm the best person to ask because um, I've gotten so many cool things over the years um that i really don't have room for much more mm. uh because yeah i have people that ask me all the time well what about like the stickers or the prints or that kind of stuff and i'm just like man just give me the good just give me a good story um <laughs> you know that's all i i really care about but I, but i always think that something like um the the sort of analysis sessions that you offer you know your editorial um abilities that that are for offer for anybody else who's trying to do what you've done i mean um you know in, in a way it's sort of remarkable here we are talking about your third campaign first two already successfully uh, funded i mean there are a lot of people that go out there with their first one it fizzles and they they never try again or they try multiple times and never get get it off the ground it's harder than it appears it's not as easy as it looks so um there are those out there that probably could take advantage of um of you know, what you've been able to, to accomplish, uh, by, you know, taking advantage of, of one of those tiers where you're offering your editorial advice or just, Hey, here's what I did that worked for me, you know, mm -hmm. and that, that kind of thing. And then of course, being drawn into a book is always super cool. Um, I, I, I actually appear in an issue of morning glories, uh, Nick Spencer and Joe Eisman's morning glories. I think it's issue 47 or 48. Uh, I was not killed. Uh, and I just mm -hmm. appeared in the background wearing, a sweater vest, which I don't think I've ever worn a sweater vest in my, in my entire <laughs> life, but be that as it may, I'm in there nonetheless. And that's always cool uh, as a comic fan to be uh, to be drawn into uh, an issue. So, yeah, I think all that stuff's cool. And plus, like we were talking about, with your tenacity and your talent, uh, I'm pretty sure that you're going to go a long way in the comic industry. And so for somebody who backs one of your projects early on to the level of, you know, a producer or an executive producer, no one's ever going to be able to take that away from them. Uh, and much like myself, being able to say, uh, I don't care if you're busy, you're coming on the show. They are, <laughs> they're always going to have your, your ear, you know, even when you are writing uh, Batman or some giant event at Marvel or, or what have you. So I, I think they're I, all, yeah, th there's something for everybody. Uh, I appreciate, of, I appreciate the, the kind words, man. And the vote of confidence. I mean, uh, you know, the, a lot of these rewards are me kind of doing my best to bring somebody in now while I have the the opportunity to to really engage the audience and and give really cool, unique um, rewards to people while I'm at the size that I am. You know, uh, being able to have, for example, like there there are tiers where we can have a thirty minute one on one Skype calls, and you can we can talk about whatever you want about the story, about plans for future projects, anything you want. I mean, there's even like for, for the big the big baller or the biggest of ballers, there's even a crazy tier where I'll fly you out to New York 
you know, if you're anywhere in the, in the continental United States or Canada, um, for a, a crazy, crazy couple of days, put you up in an Airbnb, take you to my favorite speakeasies, bring you around New York. We'll set an itinerary specific to you. I'll give you an editorial session, whatever you want. Um, and so the big thing for me is, is even if it breaks my own back, trying to provide as much value as I possibly can in each of these rewards. Uh, I really don't make anything off these Kickstarters, believe it or not. Like d- despite the relatively high goals, everything goes into the current book or finishing off its production and then on to the next book. None of this really sees my pocket for longer than a couple of minutes that it takes for me to put it in someone else's pocket. Um, So, you know, I, I hope that, that my sort of ethics of um, creating and and, and developing a, a creative product like this appeal to people. You know, I've, I've, I've been a comic book reader for year for many years now and I think comic book readers just often get abused by these publishers and by these business models. And that's not something I'm looking to do. What I'm looking to do is set myself up so that I can sustainably create these stories for people to enjoy and for these people and, and for people to engage with and, and maybe learn something from who knows, you know? Um, but yeah, uh, uh, I, I hope, I hope you guys out there will give it a chance, man, because this is made by people that really do truly care uh, and if I can impart any anything in particular, uh, I would it would be more of a warning than anything. And it's um, not to sleep on the young, hungry artist because the next minute you do, they will surprise you. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. And I think it holds it holds true for, you know, both illustrators and writers, um, you know, you can get in on the ground floor of some some really cool stuff. So just a reminder, everybody, if you don't have the means right now, you wish you could back the the campaign, but you just can't afford it, or it just doesn't seem like it's for you. Maybe it's for somebody in your circle, right? So be sure to share it on social media, put it out there on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, what have you. So anybody who wants to join the campaign is aware that, uh, that it's going on. The other thing I'll say in, um, in kind of praise of uh, Area 51, the Helix Project and Trevor himself, these are coming out a lot faster than, you know, your typical Kickstarters of, of you know, one a year, maybe two a year. Uh, Trevor's hungry to, to get this out and get this in front of uh, anybody who wants to read it and move on to his next story. So um, you're going to get a great story. You're going to get it fulfilled quickly. And uh, the best way that we can help Trevor continue to do that is to uh, both pledge and join the campaign. And if that's not for you, then to share it so we can get as many eyes on it as possible. So anybody that does want to join the campaign uh, has a chance to do so. Uh, so as we're closing up here, Trevor, you want to remind everybody where they can find you online? Yeah, man. Uh, well, thanks for having me as always. It's obviously always great chatting with a friend. And despite having seen you uh, about a week and a half ago, it feels like it's been much longer than that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you can find me pretty much anywhere at Pocket Watch Press, uh, particularly Twitter, because it doesn't have enough characters. Thanks, Twitter. Uh, it's at P Watch Press. Um, and I also have a newsletter. Uh, so if you go onto any of my social media, click the link tree in the description, there'll be an option um, for the Pocket Watch Press newsletter where I send out weekly emails that are super personal. You'll get behind the scenes glimpses at arts, sometimes uh, sort of process shots uh, with a little bit of uh, annotation by me explaining a little bit about how to make the sauce, so to speak. Um, we run giveaways. I gave away a shirt two weeks ago. Uh, and, and overall it's, it just, it's a space where I can, I think most intimately thank my readers. One of my favorite sections has been, um, reader shout outs, just shouting out folks who have taken the time to like post something on social media, uh, giving me their feedback about the books or, or about the physical products that come out of these Kickstarters. That's been so much fun. Uh, and the newsletter subscribers, which it's completely free, by the way, uh, are always the first to know what's happening and when it's happening. So for example, you know, whether or not I end up doing this convention out West, uh, you know, the, the newsletter subscribers will be the first to know. Um, and yeah, I, I really hope you'll give this third Kickstarter a look. Uh, I, I say this honestly, and as somebody who is very both, uh, externally critical and self-critical that this issue is easily the best so far. I think, um, myself and the team are very much putting on display how, cohesive our collaboration is now i think issue one was was very much us figuring out how to work together despite the fact that i think it was a solid first issue issue two you could see that we're beginning to jive by three man we are locked in um and i think 
my confidence as a storyteller here is at an all-time high thus far. Um, and it's it gets to really, I think by the end of issue three, you'll realize what I meant by uh, tugging on the heartstrings and uh, uh, letting, letting loose a real draw-dropping moment. So um, the story, I think, will entertain you. I think it will surprise you. And I think it will... Uh, relate to you in, in a couple of different ways if you give it a chance. So, um, And also, uh, my artists make me look really damn good, and I owe them an absolute massive thank you. So um, if you want to follow them, uh, feel free to reach out on the interwebs for Marcelo Salaza, uh, Marcio Freire, and uh, the incredible Taylor Esposito on letters. Uh, without these guys, um, this book doesn't exist, and it doesn't look nearly as good. So, Yep, 100% agree. So um yeah be sure you go and give uh trevor a follow so you know when new products uh projects rather are coming down the pipe and don't forget to go click uh in the show notes on the link to go check out the campaign for area 51 the helix project number three or you can just uh do a search google search uh i think the helix project number three or area 51 number three will will pull it up uh so it's really easy to find so again trev thanks for joining me uh can't wait to uh to get back together at some point and, uh, and hang out. Hopefully it'll be at New York comic-con. Uh, yes. if not somewhere further down the line, best of luck with the rest of the campaign. Uh, hope you uh, reach the funding very, very soon. And to all you listeners, we want to thank you for your support and for listening as always. We really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you next time. You can find the comic source podcast on Spotify, Apple podcast, Stitcher, Google play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.